Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.app slash breadbox. O Lord my God, Thou searchest me, my heart and mind are known to Thee, nothing is Welcome all to our Perseverance uh, family, and um, as always, it's good to start with Mary. Blessed Mother be with us. That's a good start. Greatest title of Mary is they told Mary is the mother of God. She's the mother of the church, and she's also the mother of each and every one of us. And thanks be to God for uh, Blessed Herman the Cripple, right? He's given us the Hail Holy Queen. Mary is our life, our sweetness, and our hope. So let's say the prayer that Mary loves most, and it is the Hail Mary. Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Let's invite uh, our spiritual director to be with us. How good it is to have the Holy Spirit to guide us. Many titles for the Holy Spirit: the Counselor, the Consoler, Paraclete, Sweet Guest of the Soul. The gift of gifts. St. Paul reminds us we don't know how to pray as we ought. We struggle at times. The good news. Holy Spirit intercedes with ineffable groans so we can say Abba, which means Father. So ask the Holy Spirit to give us a lot of light in our intellect. A lot of joy in our hearts. And the fire of divine love that will motivate all of our actions today. So let's uh, open our, our hearts to the Holy Spirit and His divine invasion as we sing. Spirit of the living God, all afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, all afresh on me. Melt me. Mold me, fill 
use me spirit of the living god fall afresh on me now on us spirit of the living god fall afresh on us spirit of the living god all afresh on us melt us mold us fill us use us spirit of the living god fall afresh on us fall afresh on us fall afresh on us a lady go and look pray for us saint joseph pray for us saint michael pray for us saint gabriel pray for us saint raphael pray for us saint Ignatius. pray for us saint faustina pray for us all god's angels and saints pray for us in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen so I think we've got a lot on the agenda today, don't we, Mary? We've got yes, a lot. So where are we going to start off today? Father, what should we be thinking about on Fridays and doing for the Lord, the church, and ourselves? That's a great question. I like the way you formulate these questions. They're very good. No? They encourage me at the beginning of the day. No? And um, Friday is a day in which we should be thinking about how much our Lord loved us most specifically about his passion it's a good idea to spend some time maybe even a minute contemplating the crucifix and not a Protestant one the Catholic one okay Protestant one doesn't have a body on it but we want to see Jesus hanging on the cross and that can motivate us to love him all the more and to do great things for him Tomorrow is the day we're going to be honoring Mary, and especially it's Saturday. It's a Marian feast day. But Friday is a day in which we were called to um, carry out some type of penance. The uh, church today, at least the younger generation, is not aware that we have to try to do some type of penance on Friday. Now, when I was a child, you could not eat meat on Fridays, which is still a good practice. Church, since Pope Paul VI, has abrogated that, allowing us to choose something else. You know, don't eat your hamburger. Be a good idea, no? But you can choose other options. And the best way is, what is the gospel reading for Ash Wednesday? Probably remember Matthew chapter 6, right? In which Jesus offers us three ways that we can arrive at conversion and it's through prayer it's through penance and it's through almsgiving if you like go up go in and go out amen amen go up go in and go out go up go in and go out a little bit of calisthenics huh yes go up through prayer go in penance go out almsgiving so you could choose one of those three areas go up 
well, prayer. Maybe you can go to Mass today. Father, I already go to Mass on a daily basis. Oh, okay, what? Pray rosary. I already pray rosary. Okay, well, pray two or three rosaries. Oh, you got me. <laughs> so add to your prayer. Penance. I know what you're thinking. Today, I'm not going to drink either vodka or whiskey. That'll be my penance. You know, I never drink vodka or whiskey anyway. <laughs> I don't even know what vodka looks like. No, I've never been to Russia. <laughs> so you have to give up something that, um, something you like. If you're always in the habit of maybe drinking a, um, a 7-Up for lunch, Maybe some lukewarm water. <laughs> giving up something you like. Maybe giving up your dessert. Maybe um, doing something that's, uh, that's a challenge, that's something difficult. And offer that sacrifice for the salvation of sinners, right? Yes. And almsgiving. Giving of yourself. Really good almsgiving would be to uh, try to be kind, loving, and patient with all the people you meet. Is that easy? Not always. It, it, that can be pretty difficult, huh? When someone cuts you off on the freeway, oh, God bless you. Thank you for that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> How good God is. No? He gives us these great opportunities. No? So it's very important on Fridays, we, we, we look upon our Lord on the cross and how much he suffered for us. And uh, St. Ignatius Loyola says this, as we prepare to meditate upon uh, our own sins, he says, contemplate Jesus on the cross and ask these three questions. What have I done for Jesus? What am I doing for Jesus? What am I going to do for Jesus? The past, not too much. The present, a little bit more. The future, a lot more, right? Yes. That should be our end. Maybe our past has been checkered with a lot of questionable acts. Maybe we live somewhat of a mediocre existence. Today, okay, we're we're motivated by our perseverance family to take an extra step. In the future, it's going to be better with the help of God's grace. So remember that Friday is a day in which we're called to do something, some type of penance. The, the, we can, the church law like liturgical law it can be changed like right now because of the pandemic there are a lot of uh, church modifications. But we can't change divine law, can we? You know why? Because divine law came from the lips of Jesus Christ. He said, unless you do penance, you'll perish. We can't cut those words out and chuck them, can we? No, no. unless you do penance, we, we will perish. So let's uh, try to do something. And if your spiritual penitential muscles are very flabby, Let's start to uh, build up those spiritual muscles.
Amen? Amen. Well, right. So I think that that's worthy of, uh, of note today on Friday because just a lot of people have uh, fallen through the cracks with respect to the, the call to do penance on Friday. What do you think? I agree. Okay. Excellent. Okay, so uh, from that, let's move into our next topic. What are we going to be talking about now? Talk about the last thing, mm. What is your reflection today on this important topic? I know that you really like that topic, the last things. You, you're always asking me that day in, day out. You know, I, I, it's uh, it's interesting. That's you seem to have like a fixed idea, don't you know? <laughs> I think I do too. <laughs> you're not going to let me off that topic until the beginning of December, are you? Well, that's just which is fine. No? Release of the feast of Christ the King, right? Which is right around the corner, by the way. The last things. The last thing should be the first things we're thinking about today, right? Yes. How about that, no? That's good. What are they, anyway? Do you Death. remember them? Yes, Father. What are they? Death, judgment, heaven, hell, and the, uh, purgatory, the reality of eternity. You say them again? Death, judgment, heaven, hell, purgatory, <clears throat> and the reality of eternity. Okay, we've been talking about these over the past three weeks. I think we have to think a lot about heaven. What do you think? If we thought about heaven, what it is, who's there, how to get there, the duration, what it's like, the joy, the pleasure, doing an Ignatian application of senses. Think about the, the, the happiest day, the happiest hour in your life. And magnify that a thousand times. Then eternity. You have a mere glimpse. You have a mere glimpse of what heaven is like. St. Paul says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him. On a human level, we have a lot of, uh, lot of mothers here. Sure, when you brought forth your child, your first child, there's probably a lot of joy there, right? A lot of pain before, right? At least a little bit, right? <laughs> but uh, Jesus even says this, that after the child is born, you forget about the pain because you got the, your child, right? Maybe the first time you saw your son or daughter smile at you, no? Was there joy in that? Of course, right? So we can use these, these human circumstances, events, as a springboard, as a bridge to arrive at the heavenly reality. Of course, these human images are going to fall short. Because how can the finite creature explain the infinite being of God? Right? The finite. Now that's why, one of the reasons why it's suggested that you not only read prose, but you read poetry. Because poetry is able to capture the images better than prose writing, right? Yes. So, we have to think about heaven. And every time we say the prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, we should think about the reality of heaven. Hopefully all of you want to go to heaven. 
Remember that passage of St. Paul that he says, I really want to go to heaven. Remember that passage in Corinthians? I want to go to heaven. But he says, it might be more profitable for me to stay here. Because once I'm in heaven, no more merit. Whereas when I'm here, there's a lot of opportunities to do good. It was what, uh, about uh, nine days ago, we celebrated St. Martin of Tours. Remember him? Yes. He, uh, after he visited Candace and made peace between the clergy there, he felt very sick. And he was dying. And the people surrounding him said, Father, don't leave us. And he said, Lord, these people need me. If you want me to spend more time with these people, I'm ready. The Lord said, no, Martin, it's over. Let's go to heaven now. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard of St. Ignatius, right? Yes, Father. Holy indifference? Yes, Father. Not to prefer what? A long life to a? Short life. Health over? Sickness. Riches over? Poverty. Honors over? Dishonors, humiliation. Okay. You know the exercise pretty well, no? And I'll give you an A plus on that one, okay? <laughs> so we don't want to we don't even want to cling to life. Temporal. But we want to cling to eternal life, right? Yes. So what God wills for us is always best. There's a program in the sixties, Father Knows Best, right? Yes. <laughs> Father knows best. Our Heavenly Father knows best. All right, so we've uh, given our brief ref reflection on the last things, which was one of the first things we talked about today, right? Yes. So let's move on to another important topic, right? Yes, Father. A brief summary of the book of Revelation and the topic yesterday. Yes, we're going through this very, very fascinating book. It's a book of Revelation. It's also known as the book of the Apocalypse. It's a very different book in the sense that, well, it's the last book of the Bible of the 73. But it's a book in which God promises a very special blessing. He says, I bless those who read this book who listen to this book and those who put it into practice. But it's also a book that encapsulates past, present, and future. Past because it was written about 2,000 years ago. Present because we're reading it now. Future because you've got prophecies that have not come to fruition yet. One of the key elements in this book is St. John the Evangelist is transported in vision from the island of Patmos to these churches in Asia Minor. And he's listens to Jesus, how Jesus, he compliments them, but then he corrects them. He compliments them on their good works but he corrects them on their failures. I believe one of the key points for my reflection on these seven churches is, is this, is that we can 
we can lose our fervor. It's possible. We can lose our fervor. Careful, you've lost your first love. Return to your first love. Otherwise, I will take your candelabra from you. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Yes. You lost your first love. Many people have done the spiritual exercises. And during the course of the 10-week program, those that are really generous, they're encountering sometimes their first love. They're encountering Christ for the first time in a deep way. Right? Maybe they've had a superficial understanding of God and a life that had been okay, but this gives wings to fly high. How are they going to keep that first love burning? Well, I think frequent confession, we mentioned that, but also meditating upon the shortness of life, death, judgment, heaven, hell, purgatory, and also spiritual direction. I think it's difficult to have spiritual direction, Ignatian spiritual direction, and take it seriously and not to be advancing in our spiritual life. Among many things is because the importance of accountability. So say, for example, you're a spiritual director and you talk to one of your directees and you ask, did you make your holy hour? Uh, no. This week, I, no, I didn't. Why? And you might ask, are you too busy? And the person says, I am too busy. But isn't it true that at work, you spend an hour looking at a telenovela? How did you know? Well, I thought that might be the case. Could you maybe leave that telenovela? And by the way, I think, didn't you say you go to a, you're working in a Catholic hospital? Yeah. Oh. Is there a chapel there? How did you know? Well, Catholic hospitals have chapels. Is there a red light burning? How did you know? Well, I'm a Catholic. And when you have a tabernacle, usually there's a red light there, right? Oh. What does that red light mean? It means that the king is in his palace. Who's that king? Jesus Christ. Okay, I, another question I have to ask you. That chapel, is it pretty spacious? Yeah, it's pretty big. There's probably enough for, I'd say, 50 to 60 people. Okay, so every, every time you go there, it's, it's so jam-packed that you have to get a ticket to get in there. Usually there's no one there. Oh, I just want to ask that question. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> See what a good spiritual director I am, kind of uh, <laughs> gently rebuking by these provocative questions. <laughs> so, keeping that fire burning and keeping that love ignited in our hearts, uh, there are certain means. But I would say this too, is there's a social effect of sin called the domino effect but also there's a social effect of holiness 
the domino effect. If you become a saint, you, can, you become a saint, you're going to be influencing other people. The other day we talked about Margaret of Scotland. Basically, she, she converted the whole country. It's one person. Then 200 years after she died, she left a lasting, positive, cultural, artistic, moral, spiritual, Catholic influence for 200 years because of one person. What about Francis Xavier? Did he leave a good patrimony? How about Damien of Molokai? How about Peter Chanel? How about someone like Ignatius Loyola? How about Thomas Aquinas? How about Maria Goretti? All these names have touched many, many, many people. How about John Bosco? I just think about the name of John Bosco and it motivates me to become a better priest. So if you want to pull me out of my desolation, see me walking kind of like this. John Bosco, hey! <laughs> <laughs> I love John Bosco. No? I feel that he's such a, a tiring, uh, rather, a, a tiring, a towering giant in the spiritual life, and I'm just a little midget here on earth. <laughs> but I think he likes midgets, right? Yes, yes. How, how just the influence, the power uh, of, a, of a saint, it's like breath of fresh air, right? Breath of fresh air. So we have to, um, we have to be motivated to not lose our first love. And that passage, you're neither hot nor cold. Do you remember it? But you are lukewarm. What's the response? I was speaking right of my mouth. Strong language, isn't it? Strong language. Let me give you an example, then we can move on to the first reading today. What would happen if uh, you invited me to your house for Thanksgiving? Okay, and... Um, I knock at the door, and uh, your son sees me. Hey, Mom, it's <laughs> that guy, Father Broom. Yeah. I was hoping to have a little bit more turkey, but yeah, let him in. <laughs> stuffing too. No, he's gonna he's gonna stuff himself. No, stuff with stuffing, right? <laughs> this is what he's thinking. Now. Come on in. You can sit in the garage there with the parakeets. So um, during the Thanksgiving meal, you forget you forget to invite me to the table, and I'm just there entertaining your parakeets. In other words, I'm there. Or another scenario, I'm I'm there, but you have you had have a heated discussion with me, theological debate. Now, I'd almost prefer the heated theological debate than to put me in the, in the garage with your parakeet. Because at least when I'm sitting at the table, you're arguing with me, at least you recognize my existence as a human person, right? But to ignore me through indifference, isn't that painful? Yes, sir. Probably more painful. And I think that that's the way that a lot of people teach, treat Christ today. 
he treated in such a way that maybe they recognize his existence, but there's no real love for him. There's no real love for him. So we want to make a concerted effort in our lives not to fall into that tepidity, lukewarmness, this flippant attitude of taking the Lord for granted. Hopefully this pandemic where it's more difficult to have contact with the Blessed Sacrament, maybe it's more difficult to go to Mass. Once things return to normal, only God knows when that's going to happen, maybe there will be a greater hunger, thirst, uh, desire to be with the loved one, Christ. What do you think? Yes, Father. So that's uh, an, an overall uh, treatment of where we're at. Yesterday, you asked me, uh, what about yesterday? Well, I'll tell you yesterday. John was there in heaven, and there was a, there was a, a scroll <clears throat> written on front, front and back. And it has seven seals. And uh, no one could open it. The 24 elders, they couldn't open it. The four living creatures, they couldn't open it. There was only one person that could open it. And it was actually the lamb. The lamb that was slain. And we had a long discussion yesterday upon the whole inter symbolic <coughs> interpretation of the lamb from the Passover lamb in the time of Moses to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, to Jesus who became the Lamb immolated there on the cross on Good Friday, to that Lamb of God that is present every time we celebrate the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we gave, a, we gave somewhat of an extensive uh, symbolic typological interpretation of what lamb means. So to understand the book of Revelation, we have to ask the Holy Spirit, but knowing at least a little bit of the Old Testament and knowing how to interpret what is called a symbol can be a great advantage to us in understanding this book. Of course, ask the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can always give us certain lights and insights that even uh, human studies cannot give us. The Holy Spirit can enlighten us just like that. So that's where we're at. It's a great book, isn't it? Yes, Father. So I think we should uh, turn now to this book and, and do our first reading. Can we do that now? Yes, Father. A reading from the book of Revelation. I, John heard a voice from heaven speak to me. Then the voice spoke to me and said, Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went up to the angel and told him to give me the small scroll. He said to me, Take and swallow it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will taste as sweet as honey. I took the small scroll from the angel's hand and swallowed it. In my mouth it was like sweet honey, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then someone said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
I was meditating upon that this morning and yesterday. I was thinking about hmm, taking and eating this scroll. The thought occurred to me, how often do we have in the, in the Bible, Old Testament as well as New Testament, the whole idea of eating? Pretty generic concept, isn't it? Yes. But uh, I was just going through it, an eagle-eyed view of eating in the Bible. And sometimes the eating, it was like the, the reading today, sometimes eating was positive, other times it was negative. Because you have a literary contrast in that eating, right? Because yes. the literary contrast, contrast is you have the eating of the scroll, this little book and it tastes it tastes like honey in the mouth right but what about in the stomach Sour. so so there's the the good and the bad right a market literary contrast right so let's go through that The whole of the Bible and the history of salvation, it hinges upon a prohibition not to eat, isn't it? Isn't that true? Remember Adam and Eve? What did God tell them? Not to eat, right? Not to eat from the forbidden fruit in the middle of the garden. Not to eat from one of the fruits. But they could eat from all the other fruit. Mm -hmm. They didn't obey, did they? So they took and they um, they ate from the forbidden fruit. Consequently, all of us are born with original sin. So there's a, there's a lot in that. There's a prohibition, there's a temptation, there's a succumbing to the temptation, there's a eating, there's a eating the Eve, and Eve passes the fruit to Adam. There's a lot in it. So eating brought condemnation to the world. Eating and drinking, you, uh, you absorb through eating and drinking. Then in the desert, the people are complaining because they had nothing to eat. So God rained down manna from heaven so that they could eat. Here's another verse. Do you remember Isaac and Esau, uh, uh, Esau and Isaac? Yes. And Jacob, rather. Yes. That God had these twins. Esau was a hunter and he came back and he was hungry. And he was given a bowl of lentil soup. And because he ate the lentil soup, he actually lost the blessing from his father. For a bowl of lentil soup, you're really worth it. <laughs> so that caused him to lose his birthright. Okay, we talked about 
some of the negative effects of eating when we shouldn't be eating. But what about the positive effects? John chapter 6. Jesus says in his discourse, bread of life discourse, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats my body and drinks my blood will have everlasting life. And I'll raise him up on the last day. That's a prophetic announcement of what? Of the Eucharist. Of the Eucharist. So there at the Last Supper, Jesus takes bread and he takes wine. He says, take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this is my blood. Do this in memory of me. So here we have it. Death came into the world through Eve and Adam because they disobeyed by eating from the forbidden fruit. Life came into the world through Jesus and Mary. And we have to eat what God commands us to eat. And what does he command us to eat? The bread of life, the Eucharist. On a human level, if we only pursue human realities as ends in themselves, we always are unsatisfied. Let me tell you a story. There was this, uh, I heard this from Adrian Rogers, our friend. It was a boy, he was celebrating his 12th birthday. So the mother said, well, what would you like for your 12th birthday? And he said, well, I would like to start off the day. I want you to be my glorified servant, Mom, and I want you to prepare me breakfast in bed. You know, let's start off with that, okay? What would you like, son? Pancakes. Okay. So it was a Saturday. She woke him up in early hour, 11.35 in the morning. <laughs> That was pretty early for him on Saturday, right? <laughs> okay, Saturday is not, it's not a work day for kids, right? It was for me, though. <laughs> so uh, she woke him up and said, hey, he smelled something. Oh, what a nice pancakes. So he devoured the first pile of pancakes. Do you want any more? Of course, I'm just warming up. So she brought him another pile of pancakes with syrup and butter. He devoured them. Want any more? Yeah, bring them on. So she brought him out the third pile of pancakes. He devoured those. But he was eating them a little bit slower. After he finished that third pile of pancakes, the mother said, do you want any more? He said, no, I don't even want those that are in me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd like that story. <laughs> now, what's the message there? The message there is that if we're pursuing material things as an end in themselves, they're never going to satisfy, right? They're never going to satisfy. And um, that's why St. Augustine says, O oh Lord, you have made our hearts for thee, and our hearts are, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. So I thought that I would uh, comment on the whole concept of, of eating because that's what happens in the first reading. Yes. And there is the contrast there. By eating, he could uh, experience the 
the sweet taste of like honey in his mouth, but it then it became bitter. And one last thing I'd like to make, comment I'd like to make is this. It's kind of like sin. Yes, it's kind of like sin. The devil presents it as tasty and luscious and good and delightful and filled with pleasure, right? Yes. But in other words, there's a bitterness in, in our soul. Like yes. that interpretation? I'm very much. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. The devil presents it as good, but it's... Uh, Father Greg Staub gave an example once. It's a hot day out, and uh, you're really, really sweating, and there you go to a pool, and you look at the pool, and you throw yourself into the pool, but there's no water. It's kind of like what sin is. It's a mirage. Yes. Or I give you, I give you um, candy chocolate-covered candy. You bite into it. The cover is chocolate, but the inside is poison. Yes. That's really what sin is. The devil wants to offer us a nice pool in a hot day, but there's no water in us. The devil wants to offer us a piece of candy, which is layers of chocolate, but the very depths of it is poison. That's why the devil, he's known as the father of lies. Isn't he? Yes, father. All right, so what about uh, the responsorial psalm? What is the, what is the antiphon for the responsorial psalm today? How sweet to my taste is your promise. Last interpretation, and you see how that response or Rosam is related to the first reading. When we pray, the Our Father. There's something related to eating in the Our Father, isn't there? Yes. The seven petitions. And it says, Give us this day our daily bread. Now we should have a real hunger and thirst for the Word of God. That's part of our perseverance family here, right? Yes. Probably about 1984, maybe 85, I was invited to uh, an ordination. And it was an ordination for a different Catholic rite. It was uh, to the Maronites. They're Catholics, but they have a different rite. And many of them uh, came from they came from Lebanon, and they, many were studying in Rome. So they invited me to go to the, the ordination. I remember a few things, because this is uh, many years ago. Remember, all of them had big um, black beards, I remember. And I remember not understanding a lot of the... Uh, the ceremony because I think it was done in Aramaic or a language I'd never known before. And I also remember there's a lot of incense. I like incense. Hmm? Yes. I really like incense. Don't you like incense? Oh, yeah. yes. Father Dave has an allergy. I've never had too much incense that I I felt there could always be more. No? Yes. <laughs> but also during the ceremony 
shortly before the ordination, and I thought it to be somewhat comical, this was the ordination to the diaconate. The, um, the bishop put, put the Bible on the head of uh, the person who would be ordained. How about this balancing act? Really good. Pretty good, no? <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty well coordinated, no? Yes. <laughs> I'm not, don't sneeze, and no, I'm not going to sneeze, otherwise the catechism is going to collapse, right? How about that? Good, good catch? Good catch. <laughs> and I first thought that that was somewhat comical. Kind of laughing and said, that's kind of funny. But when I went back to the uh, to our house, I thought, that's pretty cool. Because really what they were saying by that gesture is, once you become an ordained deacon, priest, and bishop, I mentioned yesterday the, I think, the four Ps. I'm a priest. I'm called to pray, preach, and penance. Remember that? Yes. Also a lot of patience. There's a fifth, huh? <laughs> priest, pray, preach, penance, and a ton of patience, right? Yes. There you have the five, the five Ps, no? Every, all of us have to have our own acronym that characterizes our life, right? But it came clear to me that that deacon, now he's going to be ordained a deacon, he's going to have the first level of holy orders, so three different levels, the diaconate, presbyterate, and the episcopacy. The episcopacy is the fullness of the priesthood, the, the, the bishop. Therefore, that's, I think, related to the responsorial psalm in the first reading, is um, that scroll that he ate is symbolic of the Word of God. So we should have a real hunger for the Word of God, but also the sourness in the stomach, we should have a real rejection to sin. What do you think? Yes, Father. Good interpretation? Great interpretation. So, we're going to be moving now. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, I did my balancing act on my head. <laughs> the Catechism of the Catholic Church says this, that the very heart, the very center of the Word of God the 73 books are the Gospels. Gospel means good news. And they are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've been reading through the Gospel of Luke and we're heading toward the end. And today, it's a very short passage. But it's a passage that is very striking. We're going to see our Lord with in an emotional state that is pretty rare. Very rarely do we find Jesus in this state. And um, sometimes people will will say, is it sin to is it a sin to be angry? Not always. It's not always a sin to be angry. Depends on the circumstance and how we channel that anger, right? Yes, so there could be a justified anger. Yes. Most people think anger you know, giving the, the, the emotion of anger is always sinful. Not always. It depends upon the circumstance. So the gospel today, I think, can give us some, some type of clarity on what is called righteous anger. What do you yes. think? Yes, Father. So can we read that now, Mary? Yes, Father. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus entered the temple area and proceeded to drive out those who were selling things, saying to them, It is written, 
My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And every day he was teaching in the temple area. The chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people, meanwhile, were seeking to put him to death, but they could find no way to accomplish their purpose because all the people were hanging on his words. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So let's talk about this. So Jesus is he's heading toward the end of his public life. And we see Jesus in the Gospel. He's, he's casting out devils. He is working a lot of miracles. Miracles over nature as well as he's doing a lot of miracles in which he's healing a lot of sick people. Even raising people from the dead like Lazarus. But he enters now into the city of Jerusalem and he enters into the temple. This temple was a, a majestic work of art, you might even say, that was, uh, it was initiated by King Solomon, who's the son of David. And the temple, the temple, of course, was supposed to be a house of prayer. Everything has its purpose, right? Yes. If I were to buy you a, uh, a very expensive pen, La Blanche pen, maybe worth, well, you know, maybe $300. This is a pen for you. It didn't work. Whether that's a La Blanche pen or a Bic pen, <laughs> it's not worth a hill of beans unless it works, right? So everything has its purpose. The purpose of the pen is to write. What is the purpose of the temple? The, te the purpose of the temple was a house where people were, were called to encounter God and to encounter God by, by prayer. This passage also in Luke, we find also the cleansing of the temple also in John chapter 2, right after the wedding feast of Cana. So, two different Gospels. Did it happen two times? There are details. There are different details. In uh, John, you have Jesus making a whip, right? Yeah. <laughs> Turning over the tables. So, there are a little bit more details in John, right? Yes. But what Jesus does is he sees that the temple is being tur turned into a place of commerce. Where people are using the temple as a means just to make money. Jesus didn't like this, did he? No. You can see that Jesus sees this and he knows that the temple is the place where people are called to encounter God. Now you can encounter God everywhere. But say, for example, you can encounter God everywhere, right? But say, for example, you'll go to um, Food for Less or Stater Brothers or uh, Vons. Okay, you can encounter God there. But if you're in the quiet of a chapel with the candelabra, the Blessed Sacrament exposed, you encounter God more powerfully there. Is that true? Absolutely. Not to say you can't 
counter cows with the potatoes and the corn and the and the Kellogg's cornflakes, right? But you have the real presence. So the temple of the Old Testament was a symbol of the real presence. You had the Sanctum Sanctorum, you had the Holy of Holies. And it was majestically constructed. So Jesus, uh, Jesus got angry. And I think that we have uh, an erroneous notion that every time we get angry we're committing a sin not always the case there is there is a, a righteous anger there's a time for everything underneath the sun right yes there's a time to be born a time to die a time to plant time to be uprooted a time to sow a time to reap a time to laugh a time to weep a time for peace a time for war Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's a time for everything. Yes. But also there is a time in which there is a, a righteous anger. <clears throat> At the prospect of killing innocent babies to abortion, interiorly, if we have a certain anger over that, that's a justified anger. If you saw a bully beating up your 13-year-old down son, I think you you wouldn't have a smile on your face, would you? No, but... You'd be angry. Yes. So uh, there's a time and place for everything. We don't want to allow our anger to be transformed into violence. That's wrong. That'd be wrong. But we have to learn to to cultivate our emotional life and cultivate our emotional life because Jesus expressed a whole gamut of emotions. Jesus was sometimes sad, right? Mm -hmm. At the death of Lazarus. Yes. Jesus was hungry at times, right? Yes. He looked on the fig tree for something, didn't find any. Jesus was thirsty at times. Yes. He said, the woman at the well, give me the drink. Jesus even experienced fear. He experienced fear when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane because of the sins of humanity. Jesus even experienced weariness. You ever get tired? Yes. So do I. The only time we find Jesus asleep in the Bible, he's in the boat, in the middle of the storm. How ironic, huh? How ironic. The storm is descending upon the apostle. Jesus is exhausted from teaching and preaching and working the whole day. There he is asleep in, in the boat. And they have to wake him up. But I'd like to make another comment on why Jesus is angry. And to this very day, I think we can make an application. Jesus was angry because they were turning the temple, turning his father's house into a place, John he calls it a den of thieves, a place of simply making money. I'll tell you a story of Father Bennett Groeschel of happy memory. 
said that he was, I think, in India giving retreats to the missionaries of charity. The free time, he went to visit a, it was like a Buddhist, a Buddhist temple. And he entered in into, uh, with his religious uh, Franciscan habit. And in the temple, there were a lot of people there. And there was absolute silence. And he said he met there a Buddhist monk. And the Buddhist monk actually bowed to Father Groeschel out of reverence. How much quiet, silence, recollection in that Buddhist temple. Then Father Groeschel said he returned to the United States. And he entered into a Catholic church. He felt almost as if we're entering into Dodger Stadium before the pandemic. Now you just have the cardboard people there, right? Yes. <laughs> and he made this comment. There are people there are, that are worshipping the wrong God in the wrong place using the wrong words. And they will be heard. There are others who are worshiping God in the right place, using the right words, in the right circumstance, and they won't be heard. You got that? Yes. It's a powerful statement, isn't yes, it? Yes, very powerful. And the thrust of our conversation on this passage is, is not to discourage anyone to go to church, but the churches are closed. No? Maybe God is allowing these churches to be closed for that reason. What do you think? Yes, Father. I really believe that God is allowing our churches to be closed because maybe over time we're turning our churches into a marketplace where... Weddings and baptisms, people come in, they're improperly dressed, no, immodestly. Yes. Sometimes even in the masses in the past, there's talking during the masses, right? Yes. It's almost like a, uh, it's almost like a fashion show for a lot of people, sad to say. Yes. Weddings, no? Yes. You've got masses in the church where people come in, they come in with their cell phone. And they're sending text messages. And God sees it. God sees how he's being snubbed. How he's being pushed aside. How he's being relegated to a secondary place. How he's being forgotten. Yes. How he's a, the people are oblivious. And who is present? See how much reverence they had in the, in the, in the Buddhist temple. Yes. And Buddha isn't even God. He never, he never even said he was God. Jesus is present in every Catholic church. Where is he present? He's present in the tabernacle. That's the palace. That's the castle. That's the residence of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. This Sunday we celebrate Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. We want Jesus Christ to be the king of the universe, but also we want Jesus Christ to be 
the king of our hearts. So this is a somewhat of a um, an examination of conscience. Yes. How have you and your children and your family, how have you conducted yourself in front of the Blessed Sacrament? How have you conducted yourself during the celebration of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass? How have you dressed in the presence of the King of all the angels and saints? How have you? Examine your conscience. And of course, where there is a king, there is also a queen, right? Yes. Jesus Christ is the king of the whole universe. And if Jesus Christ is the king, then Mary is the queen. And I think Mary as queen can teach us the way we should comport ourselves in God's house, in his temple, and before the real presence of the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Right? Yes, Father. So I'd like to end by giving you a blessing and invite all of you to kind of meditate upon these, these reflections today. The Word of God, the scroll, the temple, our hunger and thirst. Do we really have a hunger and thirst for God? The Lord be with all of you. With your spirit. Through the intercession of Mary, who is the queen, Thou art before me and behind, and Thou hast broke my heart and mind. Upon me Thou hast laid Thy hand, O Lord, how could I? Finding someone on an online Catholic dating site shouldn't be like shopping for a blender. So why do most dating sites leave you feeling like you're shopping for a spouse? At Catholic Singles, we connect members through our unique user polls and activities, which help you discover other members and their personalities and interests. Because you're a person, not a profile picture. So stop shopping and start discerning. Trust your love story to the original Catholic dating site and use the promo code BREADBOX at checkout for 20% off at catholicsingles.com.